Um, and um, so as they're about to go, let me pray for them as they go. Jesus, we want to thank you that you bring hope into every situation. So Lord, I pray as we have this time on the 31st that the Christian parents and other parents might come and be equipped to, to really teach their children about your beautiful gift of sex and how they can be prepared to follow you in this world. Lord, for our students and leaders, as they head to Passion, we pray that you give them a safe trip. We pray that they would have a great time. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall fresh on all who go and all would return more in love with you. That they would return more in love with one another, more in love with, with lost people who don't yet know you than when they left. And Lord, we pray as we open up your word together today, we pray your Holy Spirit would fall fresh on us and, and we would leave here more in love with you than when we came. That we would leave here more in love with one another than when we came. That we would leave here with a new love for our lost neighbors and friends who don't yet know you. And may we leave with a desire to share you with them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're new, welcome. We believe the Bible is God's word, and we're reading through a book called First Peter. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And what we're seeking to do in this series is to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. And last week when we left off, I shared um, how important it is that we're prepared to die. I said, because I might die tomorrow or six years from now or 70 years from now. And uh, I was just meaning like about all of us, but uh, Jim comes up to me and he says, Smiley, how old are you? <laughs> 29. <laughs> you know that's a lie, right? 66. And so Jim says, you know, you're awfully optimistic. <laughs> Thinking you'll be still here 70 years from now, right? Hey, but I want you to know something. I'm a Christian. And I don't plan for living 70 more years. I plan on living forever. And, and, and okay, if you're going to clap, clap. And, and not in this old ugly body, but I'm going to have a new body. And I'm going to spend all eternity on a new earth where everything sad and broken suddenly becomes untrue. Aren't you looking forward to that day? I'm so thankful to be a Christian because no matter how old we are, we know that the best is yet to come. And um, so that's where we left off the story last week. Let's pick up in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Listen, Christians were living in a hostile environment. They were living as aliens and strangers. They didn't fit in in the Roman Empire. And some of us feel like that too, right? I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Look at the word excellent. Don't you love excellent things? You hear someone singing and they have an excellent voice. That makes you want to do what you want to. Lean in and listen, doesn't it? You maybe go to a museum and you see an excellent painting, and what does it do? It draws you in, doesn't it? There's something about excellence that draws us in, doesn't it? How about with athletes? I mean, the Olympics are coming up, getting excited. 
I mean, Simone Biles, is, that, is she amazing? That to see her do a backflip on a four-inch balance beam, I can't even stand on it. She does it blind and lands on it. Isn't that amazing? When you see that, aren't you drawn in? And oh, isn't that what Jesus is like? When you see Jesus, there's, there's no one like him. There's no one like him. When you see him, you're drawn in. You're saying, listen, that's who I want to follow. That's who I want to be like, right? Isn't it? That's what we're looking at today. What we'll be exploring today, are, <clears throat> the point is that, that Jesus is our model for excellent behavior. Uh, listen, Jesus is our model for excellent behavior. We believe that Jesus, when, when we're Christians, becomes our model for life, how, how we're to do life, and also for ministry, how we do ministry. So we'll be doing a three-week series on this. Today we're going to see that Jesus is our model for excellent behavior. And then next week we'll see that Jesus is our model for suffering, that when we go through difficult times, we need to look at Jesus. And then we'll find, finish up with Jesus is our model for healthy relationships. If you want to have healthy relationships, let's look at Jesus. But I want you to understand something. We have to get the order right. Jesus is our Savior first, and then he's our model. Don't reverse them. Uh, first, we ask Jesus to save us, and then when he moves into us, then he says, follow me, and that's when he becomes our model. So he's our, he's our, model, our savior first and then our model. So Jesus is our model for excellent behavior. First, we're going to look at the standard. There is a standard for Christian behavior. There's a standard. And then we're going to look at the problem. Uh, the problem, and then we're going to look at the solution. So I want you to know that there is a standard for Christian behavior, and here it is. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. There is a standard in our, moral, in our world of moral sloppiness. Isn't that true? Could we say we live in a morally sloppy culture? Uh, morally confused? And I want you to know that there is a standard for Christian behavior, and it's really, really high. It's excellent. The, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So let's back up just a little bit as we think about the standard is excellent behavior. Notice what he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers living in a morally sloppy culture to abstain from fleshly lust. See the word fleshly? It's not talking about our skin. Um, it's talking about our flesh. Uh, that's the operating system installed in our hearts when we were born. The flesh is our sinful nature. And uh, how do you spot the flesh? Really easy. The flesh says, I can run my life better than Jesus. Do you ever feel that way? That you think Jesus' ideas aren't nearly as good as yours? Uh, listen, I know the path to happiness better than Jesus. That's our flesh. So notice what he's saying, to have excellent behavior, we need to abstain from flesh. That is that idea that we can run our lives better than Jesus. And see the word lust? It's a really interesting Greek word. It's epithumai, and epi means over, and thumai means desire. A lust is an over-desire. A lust is wanting good things badly. What? How many people do you know who want to eat nails? You know anybody? So listen, lusts aren't wanting bad things, but lusts are wanting good things badly. That means we, money is good, but when we want it 
too much, then it wage wars against our souls. That, that food's a good thing, but when we over-desire it, it can wreck our lives. It's nice for people to like us, but when we over-desire the approval of others, it wrecks our lives. So, he says, listen, to have excellent behavior, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So listen, they're living as aliens in a foreign land, just like we are. Do you, do you think we would stand out in our culture if we did this? Would we stand out for, for the right reasons? Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Man, that means on that day Jesus comes back, man, I'm a Christian because I saw these Christians and they just stood out in our culture. Their eyes were so different. It was so excellent. I was drawn to Jesus. So first, excellent behavior. That's the standard. And, and for that, it's first of all to abstain from fleshly lust. And, and now he's going to say, listen, be excellent citizens in your country. Submit to the governing authorities. Listen to verse 13. Submit yourselves... Why? Because our civil government is so good? No, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Christians should be the best citizens, excellent citizens, because we look behind our civil government and we see that it's God's gift to us. Did you know that? Did you know that God established the civil government? You, you did know that, right? And you know when he did it? You see, before the flood, before the flood, there was no civil government. There was no civil government. So do you know what it was like before there was a civil government? The world was filled with a contempt for God and violence and immorality. We can't even imagine how awful it was. And so the flood came, and then God was starting over, but he didn't want it to get as bad after the flood as it was before the flood. So he established the civil government. God established the civil government and gave the civil government a purpose. It was to restrain human nature. And then God gave a power a power to the civil government, which is the sword, the power of life and death. And the purpose of the civil government is to restrain human nature. Did you hear that? As sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And so we have police to protect us from one another, right? And they don't do it perfectly, but without them, you can't even imagine how bad it would be. And listen, we have a military, and they defend us from others, and they don't always get it right. But listen, without them, it would be unrestrained human nature. So the best citizens are Christians because they know why we have a civil government. They know what would happen if there was no civil government. And then notice this well. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, only do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave to God. Now, I'm meant to tell you, God established the civil government, right? And gave him a power, the sword, and the purpose was to restrain human nature. But God also established the church. God established the church. That's his gift to us too. And he gave the church a purpose too, to remedy human nature. 
The church is here to remedy human nature, and God gave us a superpower, and that's the gospel. That's the gospel. So it's important we understand why we have a civil government and why we have a church. Certainly one of the issues of our time is race, right? What can our civil government do about race? Our civil government can outlaw discrimination, can outlaw discrimination, and we should encourage our civil government to outlaw discrimination. But our civil government cannot change people's hearts. Our civil government cannot make people love each other, but we can because the gospel is the power of God to remedy human nature, to change people's hearts so people who didn't formerly love each other could love each other. The gospel gives us the ability to love people. The civil government can't do that, right? That's why we're here, and that's why there's a civil government. So notice what he says, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Wouldn't we stand out in our culture if we honored all people? Don't we live in a culture very divided where people love their kind and hate the other kind, don't they? But here's a people that are different from all the people around them because we honor all people because they're all made in God's image, right? Is that us? Do we just stick out for the right reasons, honor all people, love the brotherhood? Man, do we stick out? Man, those Christians, they love one another. Wouldn't that be great if that was our reputation in the community? Fear God. Listen, in a hostile culture, we're going to have a choice. We're going to fear culture or we're going to fear God, right? And what did Jesus say? Listen, fear the one who, after he has killed the body, has the authority to cast you into hell, right? Fear God and then honor the king. Um, well, well, smiley, are we always to obey the civil government? <laughs> Listen, that should be our default. <laughs> that should be our first response as we're to submit out of submission to Jesus. Well, well smiley, if we had a good government, we'd submit. Well, do you know who was Caesar when Peter wrote this? It was Nero. And know what Nero was doing to Christians? He was dipping them in pitch, and he was lighting them on fire. There is something worse than a bad civil government. You know what it is? No civil government at all. So our default as Christians should be to be excellent citizens and to obey the civil government. Does that mean we always obey the civil government? We should accept when the civil government calls us to disobey God. Don't we read about Christians in the Bible who practice civil disobedience? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Peter, John. They commanded Peter and John not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said what? We must obey God rather than men. We cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Listen, it looks to me, it looks to me, and I'm not a prophet, but it looks to me like we're headed into a time where we're going to have to think through, pray for one another, and help each other stand against things the government will ask us to do that go against what God calls us to do. Are you ready for that? Are we ready to pay the price for doing that? Listen, keep your behavior excellent. Abstain from fleshly loss. Listen, be excellent citizens wherever we can. And now he's going to talk about the workplace. Be excellent workers. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. 
No, one night in small group, one night in small group, we, we were talking about uh, our bosses, and, and everybody was complaining about their bosses. So I said, how many people do you think have a good boss? How many people do you think? Not very many, right? How many players on the team really think they have a good coach, right? I mean, shouldn't the coach put me in, right? How, how many people in the country think they have good leaders? How many people do you think? You know what it really is? We really don't like authority, do we? Um, for this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? Listen, if you show up to work late, and you do a lousy job, and you get punished, big deal is exactly what you deserve. But notice what he says, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. When you show up early, and you work hard, and you have a great attitude, and you treat other people the way you'd like to be treated, and you suffer for that, that finds favor with God. So listen, there is a standard. Our behavior matters. It matters to Jesus. It matters to us. It matters to the people around us. Here's why it matters. The early church, Christians were hated in the Roman Empire. They were hated. They were accused of all kinds of terrible things. They were accused of being cannibals. What? You do know why they were accused of being cannibals, right? Come on, last week we ate the Lord's Supper and we said what? This is my body, take and eat. This is my blood, drink from it, all of you. And so they were accused of being cannibals because they ate the Lord's Supper. And they were accused of being incestuous. They were accused of being wildly immoral. Do you know why? Because they called each other brother and sister. And do you know they were accused of being seditious? They were accused of being terrible citizens because they said that there is a king above Caesar, and so they were accused of being seditious. And we are moving into an increasingly hostile culture to us, and we will be hated too, and people will say terrible things about us. They will say we are intolerant because we believe that there is one way to God through Jesus. And we will be called haters. We will be called haters because we do not celebrate the LGBTQ plus lifestyle. And we will be hated as seditious because we say that there is a king above our civil government. So what do we do with all the terrible things people say about us? Listen. Here's why our behavior matters. Verse 15, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. How do you overcome the accusation that you're intolerant and, and that you're a hater and that you're seditious? By your behavior. Um, so listen, there is a standard, right? Excellent behavior. All right, now the problem. Know what the problem is? Us. Yeah, there's only, the, the problem is only one person has ever kept the standard. Only one person. No, no, it's not you. No, it's not you. And it's not me. Who, who, who kept the standard? Who did? Jesus did. See, Jesus is the only one 
who, who lived his whole life with excellent behavior. He's the only one, listen, who abstained from fleshly lust. He's the only one who had the right attitude toward the government and the right attitude toward work. We've all failed. All of us have, and especially me. So the standard is excellent behavior. The problem, only one person's ever kept it. The solution is Jesus. The solution is, here's the solution. When we become Christians, Jesus moves into us, and you know what he does? He lifts us to the standard day by day. The problem with many Christians is they think grace means no one lives up to the standard, so God lowers the standard. That's not grace. Grace is not lowering the standard. Grace is Jesus moving into sinners and lifting them day by day to the standard of excellent behavior. And how does he lift us? He lifts us with his love. Did you see verse 11? How it started? Beloved. Do you wake up every day and smile that I am beloved? God loves me. God loves me. That changes everything, right? Listen, religious people, religious people try and behave in an excellent way because they think if I'm really, really good, God will love me. That's not Christians. We don't obey God so God will love us. We obey God because he does love us. And we are so staggered by his love that we say, we want to follow you. So my question to you is, have you experienced the love of Christ? Have you experienced a love so powerful that that love is changing everything in your life? Isn't that what the gospel is about? About a love so powerful that it changes everything in our lives? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ in Romans 5 verse 6? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, gospel means good news, but it has bad news. Here's the bad news. Listen to this. While we were yet sinners. Listen. We've all sinned, and that's bad. <laughs> we've not abstained from fleshly lust. We've not had the right attitude toward the civil government. We've failed in the workplace. It's bad that we've sinned, but listen, our problem is far worse than that we have sinned. Our problem is that we are sinners. Listen, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Because we are sinners, we sin against God over and over again. And listen, what we deserve from God is his wrath. What we deserve is hell. And because we're sinners, we're helpless to save ourselves. Once we understand the bad news, we are sinners. We're helpless. We're in big trouble. Then the good news is so good. Oh, listen. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. How much does he love us? How much does he love us? That while we were yet sins, Christ died for us. Do you know who Jesus is? He's God the Son who put on flesh and came to earth to save sinners. He loved you so much he crossed the universe for you. He loved you so much he lived a perfect life for 33 years and then he climbed on the cross. And he died for our sins. 
He took our sins. He died in our place. He, he cried out from the cross, it is finished, right? He really did die. But the third day, he walked out of the tomb, and he offers us the greatest gift ever, the gift of eternal life. He offers to forgive us our sins. He offers us the chance to do life and eternity with him. And what does he require of us? John 3, 16. I love this verse, don't you? For God, what? So loved. Don't you worry? It's not that he just loved the world. He what? He so loved the world. And that's what changes everything, his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to, to die in our place and rise that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said the way we can have eternal life is not by trying to be good because we would simply fail, but by believing in him. And listen, believing in Jesus really is simple. It's as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. Listen, would you like to experience the love of God? Would you, would you like to be forgiven to life and eternity with him? Then won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit to him? Won't you... Once you commit to Jesus as Savior, listen, I'm going to quit trying to be good. I'm going to trust what you did for me on the cross. I want you to save me, to forgive me, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? And you can do that right now where you are. Admit, believe, commit. Or, or if you'd like help, I'll help you as we close in prayer. Um, have you done that? He so loved us. He gave his son doesn't that change everything in our lives? Let me show you how that's meant to change our life, how his love lifts us to the standard. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Here's the question. Is, is that his love for us? Or is that our love for him? What, what controls us? Yes, right? Isn't that yes? He loves us, right? And then what? And then we love him, right? The Bible says we love because he first loved us. The more we understand how much he loves us, the more we love him. And, and it goes and goes. But listen to this. For the love of Christ controls us. What would move us? What would move us to excellent behavior? What would? Only the love of Christ. The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. I met Jesus. Have you? I met him. He loves me. That changes everything, doesn't it? That he might no longer live for, himself, for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Isn't the most powerful thing in the universe love, isn't it? Why does a mother... Why does a mother get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to feed her child? Why? Is it because there's some law that says she must? What? She loves her child and there's nothing she wouldn't do for her child. Why do people, and I don't understand this at all, why do people line up at midnight before Black Friday to go shopping? Why? Why would someone do that? Why? Because they love it. They love to shop. They love a bargain. They don't say it's too hard, it's too late. They love it. <laughs> Why do I run every day? No matter what the temperature. Most people, they hate running. Why would anybody run? You know why? Because I love it. Oh. What would it be like in a hostile culture 
that there were people who puzzled everyone because of their excellent behavior. And they said, why? Why? Why would you live like that? And we said, because someone captured us with his love. You see, when Jesus captures our hearts with his love, we gladly give him our hands and feet, right? Oh, it's his love. His love lifts us to that standard of, of excellent behavior. Listen, his example, his example lifts us. It lifts us to the standard. I mean, Jesus is our model for excellent behavior, right? I mean, can't you see Peter just wrote people? He just wrote them and said, listen, excellent behavior. Listen, abstain from fleshly lust. Submit to the civil government. Submit to your boss. And they would have rolled their eyes and raised their hands and said, we can't do that. We've never seen that. And know what Jesus, or what Peter did? He gave them an example. Look at verse 21, the very next verse. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Listen, if we want to know how to abstain from fleshly lusts, we do what? We look at Jesus. If we want to know how to interact with our civil government, we look at Jesus, right? If we want to know how to be great workers, we look at Jesus. What we look at makes such a difference. Recently, we moved all of our home videos from, from these videos to a thumb drive, and every Friday night, Karen and I watched these family videos, and we have four boys, and watching this one video, they're just sword fighting. You know why they were sword fighting? Because they loved to watch the movie Zorro. And we would sit and we would watch the movie Zorro and they would have sword fighting. And as soon as the movie was over, you know what they would do? They would get up, find their swords, and they would sword fight. You ever wonder why we gather on Sunday mornings? You want to know why? So that we might gaze at Jesus. And the Holy Spirit might say, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the way you want to live? And isn't that why we get up every day and we have breakfast with Jesus? Why? So that we could gaze at him and say, wow, that's how I want to live. Help me live like that, right? Listen, it's his love. His love lifts us to the standard. His example lifts us to the standard. His purpose for our lives lifts us to the standard. Jesus says our behavior matters. It's a purpose so big that it inspires excellent behavior. Don't waste your life. He says our behavior matters. Listen, when we live lives of excellent behavior, everyone wins. It's good for us. It blesses other people. It brings glory to God. Look at verse 11. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. There is a battle being waged for our souls. And not only our souls, but those in our family, and those in our church, and those in our community. And our behavior matters in the battle for souls. Listen, when, 
when we abstain from abusing alcohol, it's good for our souls. It's good for us. It's good for the souls of those around us. It's good for our community. It's good for the church around the world. It brings glory to God. When Christians, when Christians who know Jesus and love Jesus say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm going to wait until I get married to have sex, it's good for our souls. It's good for us. It's good for the souls of those we date. It's good for the souls of our church. It's good for our community. It makes our community a better place to live. It brings glory to God. It matters. When Christian people who are married, and we can't do anything about the past, but when Christian people who are married stay married, it's good for our souls. It's good for the souls of our spouse and our children. It makes our community a better place. It brings glory to God. Listen. When we're excellent citizens and we submit to the civil government, it's good for our souls. It's good for the souls of people in our country. It brings glory to God. Why, those Christians are the best citizens. Listen, when we're good workers, when we're good workers, when we show up early and we work hard with a great attitude and we treat others the way we'd like to be, it's good for our souls. It's good for the souls of others. It brings glory to God. Bosses say, I want more Christians. I want more they're honest. I can trust them. They show up. Is that us? Uh, there is a standard. Excellent behavior. The problem we've all fallen. The solution's Jesus. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? And aren't you thankful that he doesn't lower the standard, aren't you? Aren't you glad he moves in? And day by day, he lifts us. He lifts us with his love. He lifts us with his example. He lifts us with his purpose. So, here's what I'd like for you to do this week for an action step. I'd like for you to ask Jesus to help you take the next step. Uh, sometimes when I'm really tired and running, I don't think way down the road. Just help me to take the next step. And that's what we need to do if we want to live lives of excellent behavior. Don't look way down the road. Just ask Jesus to help you take the next step. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, for some of us, that next step is Jesus has been calling us out of a fleshly lust. And we need to say, Jesus, help me take the next step. Many of us are wrecking our souls and the souls of others by continually looking at pornography, and Jesus is calling us out of that. Will you say, Jesus, help me take the next step? Some of us are living together. Some of us are wrecking our lives with alcohol, and Jesus is calling us out of that. He's calling us out of that. Won't you say, Jesus, help me? Do you know Jesus loves it when we ask him for help? Jesus, help me take the next step. For some of us, the next step is just to keep going, isn't it? Anybody in here find the last 15 months hard? Anybody in here find those months? It's been hard, right? So many times I just wanted to quit. And you know what? I'm always praying, Jesus, help me. Help me take the next step. That's why I get up in the morning. I find it so hard to keep going. I get up in the morning and I spend time with Jesus. And Jesus, help me. Help me to take the next step today. May your love capture my heart and lift me. 
May your example inspire me. May your purpose be big enough that I would pursue excellent behavior today. Jesus, help me take the next step. Throughout the day when I get discouraged over and over again, Jesus, help me take the next step. And uh, sometimes when I do that, I get it right. Sometimes I get it right and people say, you know, so you've been a pastor for a long time. A long time. How do you keep going? A lot of Jesus. A lot of Jesus. A lot of Jesus helped me take the next step. People say, how long have you been married? Man, you've been married a, a long time. How, how have you stayed married? A lot of Jesus. <laughs> you ever think about marriage, what a funny relationship it is? I mean, really, you have a, a male and a female, right? And, and they're in a tight space for, a space for a long period of time. What could go wrong there, right? What could go wrong? And not only do you have a male and a female, but they're both sinners. And then you lock them up in a tight space for a long period of time. What could go wrong, right? Oh, how have I stayed married? A lot of Jesus. A lot of Jesus helped me. A lot of Jesus helped me to take the next step. And you know, if you take the next step and the next step and the next step, sometimes it's, it's all of a sudden been a long time that you've been married. Uh, listen, sometimes I get it right and I point people toward Jesus, but I want you to know I get it wrong a lot too. And, and when I get it wrong, it's a great opportunity to point people toward Jesus too, to say, you know what? I am so sorry I blew it. Listen, no one needs Jesus more than I do. I need Jesus to take every step that I take, and I get it wrong so often. Everybody needs Jesus, even me. Listen, we can point people to Jesus when we get it right with our behavior, and we can point people to Jesus when we get it wrong. And what I find by continually praying, Jesus, help me to take the next step, I'm with people, and they share with me things they're struggling with, right? And I can say, me too. Could I share with you what I found helpful? Jesus, he's helped me. He'll help you. Just ask him to help you take the next step. I've talked to so many people over the last 15 months that are so tired. They're so tired of all that's going on. Hey, me too. Could I share with you what keeps me going? Jesus does. He'll help you too. If you'll just ask him, Jesus, help me. Do you know Jesus loves it when you tell him you need help? He doesn't love him when you tell him how you've got it all together. Oh, but what really makes Jesus happy is when you say, Jesus, help me. Help me. Help me take the next step. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you Thank you for coming to earth and living that perfect life and, and giving us a real model of what excellent behavior would look like. And then, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross and dying for sinners. And thank you for rising and offering us eternal life. And listen, if you'd like to take that first step with Jesus and, and receive eternal life, won't you tell Jesus, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. 
I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Uh, if you've taken that first step toward him, won't you mark it on your card or tell someone it'll make Jesus more real to you? Oh, Jesus, I pray for those of us who've received you that you'd help us to take the next step. To those of us now that we've been living in a fleshly lust and you're calling us out, may we cry out, Jesus, help me. Help me to take the next step out of this. Jesus, I pray that, that your, your love would, would free us from sin and, and lift us to the standard, that, that your example would, would inspire us, that your purpose would motivate us to cry out, help us to take the next step because our behavior matters. It's good for our soul. It's good for the souls of others. It brings you glory. Oh, Lord, this week, step by step, May we cry out to you and follow you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand and sing with us.